Let us open our Bibles. Our scripture reading for this afternoon is from 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And do not, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatius, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And I, Tychius, have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And then for the text, we will be reading from the Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 9 to 13. And let us read these articles together. If you have a book of praise, it's on page 584. And we will be reading articles 9 to 13. So article 9, the assurance of this preservation. 
Believers, believers themselves can be certain of this preservation of the elect to salvation and the perseverance of true believers in the faith. And they are indeed certain according to the measure of their faith, by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church and that they have the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Article 10, the source of this assurance. This assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation besides or outside the word, but by faith in the promises of God, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort. By the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God, and finally, by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. And if the elect of God did not have in this world the solid comfort of obtaining the victory and this unfailing pledge of eternal glory, they would be of all men the most miserable. Article 11, this assurance not always felt. Scripture, meanwhile, testifies that believers in this life have to struggle with various doubts of the flesh and placed under severe temptation do not always feel this full assurance of faith and certainty of perseverance. But God, the Father of all comfort, will not let them be tempted beyond their strength but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, and by the Holy Spirit will again revive them in the certainty of perseverance. Article 12, this assurance is an incentive to godliness. This certainty of perseverance, however, so far from making true believers proud and complacent, is rather the true root of humility childlike reverence, genuine godliness, endurance in every struggle, fervent prayers, constancy in suffering, and in the confession of the truth and lasting joy in God. Further, the consideration of this benefit is for them an incentive to the serious and constant practice of gratitude and good works as is evident from the testimonies of Scripture and the examples of the saints. Article 13, this assurance does not lead to carelessness. Neither does this renewed confidence produce carelessness or neglect of godliness in those who have been restored after their fall. Rather, it produces in them a much greater concerned to observe carefully the ways of the Lord which he prepared beforehand. They observe these ways in order that by walking in them, they may retain the certainty of their perseverance. Then shall the face of their gracious God not turn away from them again because of their abuse of his fatherly goodness." with the result that they would fall into still greater anguish of spirit. Indeed, to those who fear God, the contemplation of his face is sweeter than life, but its withdrawal 
is more bitter than death. The sermon I am about to read <laughs> has been prepared by Dr. Wes Bradenhoff, Minister of the Word at Launceston Free Reformed Church at Launceston, Tasmania, Australia. And after the reading of the sermon, we will sing in response from Psalm 27, verses 5 and 6. Beloved congregation of Christ, it was a dark time in the land. The people were again doing what was right in their own eyes. As he always does, God noticed and he gave the people over to their enemies to wake them up. When they finally started to wake up, they prayed to God and asked him for deliverance. In response, God raised up a judge named Gideon. In Judges 6, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. Gideon is afraid of the Midianites. He has to beat out the wheat, separate the wheat from the chaff. Normally that would have been done out in the open on a threshing floor. But because Gideon is terrified of the Midianites, he does it in a wine press, a pit out of sight. Then the angel appears and says to Gideon, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The irony is hard to miss. He calls him a mighty man of valor. But he's terrified to do his work out in the open. Gideon responds and says, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? God has forsaken us and given us over to our enemies. Gideon doubts the words of the angel of the Lord. Gideon doubts that God is really working to preserve his people. It's not unusual to struggle with doubts as a believer. We're all human beings. We're sinful and weak. We're prone to question and wonder whether God's word can really be trusted. This is also true when it comes to the question of whether God will preserve us so that we persevere until our glorification. Is he really going to keep me in his fatherly hands so that I keep my eyes on Christ? Is he really going to keep me secure so that I go on walking in his ways until the day I'm called home or the day Christ returns? Sadly, there are those who claim you can't be sure and you shouldn't be sure. In history, the Armenians, around the time of the Synod of Dort, said it was better to doubt. It would make you more humble and make you work harder at being a Christian if you doubt and wonder about your eternal security. The Armenians also said that normally no one can have assurance about preservation, and perseverance. The only way, they said, is if God gives you a special private revelation. So if God speaks to you directly and says, you are guaranteed to make it to glory, if you hear him say that to you, only then you can be sure. But that doesn't happen to many people. It's very rare, they said. The rest of us doubt and should. In response to that, the Synod of Dort went back to the Bible. They went to passages like 1 Peter 1 verse 5, which, God, which speaks about God's people, who by God's power are being guarded 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. They went to passages like Matthew 18, verse 14, where Jesus says about his flock, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And from our reading in 2 Timothy 4, there's verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. These sorts of passages speak not only about preservation and therefore perseverance, but also about the assurance of it. As we confess in Article 9, believers themselves can be certain of this preservation of the elect to salvation and the perseverance of true believers in faith. You can be sure. In fact, if you're a believer, you should be sure. So this afternoon, we're learning about the assurance of preservation and perseverance. God preserves us so that we preserve and you can be sure of it. There are three questions we'll answer. Number one, where does assurance come from? Number two, why is assurance not always felt? And number three, where does assurance take us? We confess that assurance doesn't come through a certain private revelation. No one should expect to hear God speaking to them directly and guaranteeing their preservation. We're not to expect to have dreams or visions in which God communicates with us. That's not God's way of working in this age. We live in a time where we have a complete Bible. The Bible is God's way of addressing us in our day. Faith in the promises of God found in the Bible is our first and most important source of assurance. God promises he will preserve us. Faith takes him at his word. Faith trusts that God means what he says and will do what he says. Faith takes the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4 verse 18 and sees the promise in them. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his kingdom, heavenly kingdom. If we're believing, we take those words and make them our own. God has promised to rescue me too. God has promised to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom as well. I'm going to trust him. I can be sure he'll do what he says. It's all because the Bible is God's word, and God can be trusted. He never lies. Assurance also comes from the Holy Spirit as he lives in us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in all true Christians, and he witnesses with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. That's a paraphrase of Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. But how does the Holy Spirit give us this witness? 
or to put it better, how do we experience this witness of the Holy Spirit? One of the ways is by observing what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. It's in Romans 8, but it's even clearer in Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The witness of the Holy Spirit is seen in our prayers. We can experience his work as we call out to God, our Father, through Jesus Christ. When you pray to God, your Father, that's the Holy Spirit also witnessing to you that you have been adopted into God's family. And that's an adoption that can never be undone. Loved ones, in your prayers to the Father, the Holy Spirit is witnessing to you about your eternal security. Last of all, we confess that assurance also comes as we observe the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible encourages us to be self-aware. In passages like 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, God tells us to examine ourselves honestly, not only in terms of our sinfulness, where we continue to fall short, but also in terms of where there is fruit. When you look at yourself, do you see the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works? Do you care about holiness? Do you care about living in God's ways? If you do, this is because you are one of God's elect children who will be preserved so that you can persevere. Unbelievers don't care about holiness and good works. Unbelievers hear about godliness and are either indifferent towards it or even mock it. People who aren't Christians just don't care about living in God's ways. But if you do care, this is something that God in his sovereign grace has worked in your life. You can observe this with joy and praise for God. Brothers and sisters, you can find comfort in seeing what God is doing in your life so that you will be secure until you reach the final goal of glory. Our second question this afternoon, why is assurance not always felt? Here we're looking at the biblical teaching summarized in Article 11. As we get into this question, we have to distinguish between two things. One is the objective reality, and the other is our subjective feelings. These things do not always line up. The objective reality is found in the sure promises of God. As we've seen, the Bible objectively tells us that true believers have eternal security. God promises to preserve us so that we will make it to the end. This is objectively true. It's true regardless of how you feel about it. But your subjective feelings about it do relate to your assurance. Assurance does have a subjective element to it. Do you feel confident about your preservation or not? 
It's about your feelings, your experience, and experiences can vary. Because we live in a broken world, and we ourselves are broken, sometimes we struggle with doubts. Scripture gives many examples of believers dealing with doubt. We could, not, we could think not only of Gideon, but also of the psalmist in Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is known as the dark psalm. It's a type of psalm known as a lament. Every other lament psalm ends on a note of hope, but not Psalm 88. The last word of Psalm 88 in both Hebrew and English is literally darkness. It's the psalm of someone struggling with doubts and questions. It's not someone who has confidence and assurance. This is a psalm out of real life. It tells us that God is aware of our doubts and struggles. He put this in his word after all. It also tells us that it can and does happen that believers don't feel assured. They're going through a rough patch and doubts can start to cloud your mind. Doubts can obscure your view of God's promises. The promises are still there, just like the sun is still there hiding behind the clouds. But because you can't see them, you start to doubt. Behind this experience of a lack of assurance is often not sin as such, but human weakness. Sometimes it's due to depression or other mental health issues. But there can also be temptations. As we confess, you might be placed under severe temptation. Even as regenerated believers, we often have evil desires. The presence of these evil desires can also contribute to our not feeling all that assured of God's preservation. You have those evil desires, and then you wonder, how is God going to pull me through when I have all these wicked impulses in my heart? How is God going to preserve me? So your assurance starts to go down the drain. If someone were to ask you, are you going to make it to glory? You would say, I don't know. I'm not sure. And it's all because of those temptations eating away at you, those evil desires haunting you. Now here's the thing about this experience of assurance. God makes even more promises to us. If someone is struggling with assurance, whether because of doubts or temptations, God comes to them and says, I will not let go of you. Those are the beautiful words of Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. God is not going to break you so that you lose your way. God is not going to extinguish your fire so you grow cold to him. He promises this. When it comes to temptations and those evil desires, Scripture promises he will provide a way out. When Article 11 says that, it's referring to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says there that God will provide a way of escape from our evil desires that we may be able to endure so that we can and do persevere. 
Now, I want you to note something. It doesn't say that God will immediately provide the way of escape. Sometimes you pray to him and ask for deliverance from a temptation, and he does right away show you the way to break free. But at other times, you pray and ask for the way of escape, and he makes you wait. You have to keep praying. In his sovereign wisdom, he determines the moment when he'll show you the way out. Loved ones, the key thing is that you have to trust he will. Whether he does it right away or it takes a bit longer, you have to trust what God says in his word. He will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoldering wick. He will again revive in you too the certainty of his preservation and your perseverance. Articles 12 and 13 address our final question of where assurance takes us. Let's first learn about where it doesn't take us. This is Article 13. It doesn't take us to carelessness. If we have assurance from the scriptures of our preservation, we are not going to neglect godliness. We are not going to be complacent about living as God's children. With our experience of biblical assurance, we would not be indifferent about growing as disciples of our Lord Jesus. The Canons of Dort insists on that because the Armenians claimed the opposite. They said that this teaching of eternal security was harmful to godliness, good morals, prayers, and other holy exercises. The Armenians said that if you had certainty about your salvation, you'd be arrogant and think you could live whatever way you wanted. After all, you're sure that God is going to preserve you, so why not just live carelessly? You don't have to worry about anything. Just live your life and don't think about sin. Don't think about godliness, because God is going to bring you to glory anyway. There are two things from the Bible that prove the Armenians wrong. One is the example of believers. In the Bible, we see a Christian like the Apostle Paul. As we saw in our reading from 2 Timothy 4, he was certain of his personal preservation and perseverance. He absolutely had that assurance. Yet the Apostle Paul wasn't careless about godliness. He wasn't arrogant or negligent about living in a Christian way. So it doesn't follow that assurance of eternal security inevitably leads a Christian to carelessness. Another thing proving the Armenians wrong is what Scripture says in passages like 1 John 3, verses 2 to 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So in that verse, there's confidence in our security. We know that we shall be like him. We're assured of our future glory. But then there's also verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
Note well, our confidence of future glory motivates our present purity. This happens because the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of the elect. He works so that they do care about purity and godliness. So where does assurance take us? Article 12 gives us a great summary. Assurance takes us to humility. I'm this broken, weak struggler, and God has promised to take me to glory. I don't deserve it, and I know it. Assurance takes us to childlike reverence for God. My Father has been so gracious to not only save me through Christ, but also to carry me through to heaven. Assurance takes us to genuine godliness. God has comforted me with his promises, and I love him, and I want to live in his ways. Assurance takes us to endurance in every struggle. God has released me with his spirit, and because the spirit lives in me, I can and will make it through all my temptations and evil desires. I will not be overcome, but through the Spirit's mighty power, I will endure. Assurance takes us to fervent prayers. I know that my preservation and perseverance depend on God's power and strength, and not on me. I depend on Him completely. For that reason, I keep calling out to Him for help in all my doubts and temptations. Assurance takes us to constancy in suffering and in the confession of truth. When I face hardships, I remember God's promises that assure me of his protection. I remember Jesus' words in John 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I remind myself that I am held safe in the hands that bled for me. That gives me strength to stand fast when the winds blow. Finally, assurance takes us to lasting joy in God. I have the confident contentment in knowing that I belong to my faithful God and Savior. If he gave his son to die for me on the cross... Surely he will also guard me in this salvation. He will finish what he started. He's a loving and mighty God, and he doesn't let go of his people. That gives me joy in my heart. My joy comes from him and his invincible love. Loved ones, assurance of your preservation is a precious thing to have. So let me ask you, are you, sh- are you sure of your preservation and perseverance? Are you confident that you're going to make it to glory? If you have turned from your sins in repentance and placed all your trust in Christ as your Savior, there is no good reason why you shouldn't have assurance. But if you don't, if you're unsure, talk to your pastor or your ward elder, because lack of assurance is a joy killer. Lack of assurance deadens worship. Lack of assurance also affects our evangelism. If we're not even sure for ourselves, how can we share the good news with others? Assurance is what we're meant for. 
God's word holds it out to us as a promise and a beautiful reality that should be experienced by all true Christians. May God graciously grant the experience of assurance of preservation to each one of us, that we might joyfully praise him and live for him. Amen.